Alright guys, welcome back to another Revive cast. So, I am doing this one solo. So this, to me, I'll see because I'm just doing my own podcast now, this is going to be a little weird. Not, not, not going to lie. Um, not having someone to actually converse with um, and kind of this back and forth, which makes things kind of flow a little bit better sometimes. Um, but hey, got to start somewhere, don't we? So, the topic I'm going to discuss today is something that I um, honestly get asked a lot of questions about, um, and that's going to be uh, what people call nowadays peri-workout nutrition. Uh, so obviously, the, the timing of your meals that are surrounding your training, so that pre, um, intra, and post-workout window. Now, I'm going to kind of dive into some different scenarios, um, what I feel is the most optimal way of doing things but it's also contextual, right? So it's never just this like black and white scenario. Nothing's ever like an absolute when it comes to this stuff. So it's just kind of thinking of it as a guideline um, on how to approach your training. Um, and this goes across the board for any demographic. This is not related to just like physique competitors or athletes. This is your general population. You know, Susie Homemaker, um, a CEO, doesn't matter as long as you're training with weights. It's just built around that, and then we'll build off of it, okay? So, when we're talking about peri-workout nutrition, let's first dive into when I talk about context. So, when I say context, I'm meaning like, are you in a caloric surplus or are you in a caloric deficit when you're talking about peri-workout nutrition? Because depending on one of those two scenarios, will dictate more so what should be in those mills as far as the macronutrient makeup of those mills. Okay, so let's start with the pre-workout meal. Okay, so, and we'll put this in the context of a caloric surplus. So obviously a caloric surplus is you should have an abundance of nutrients and fuel in the system at this point in time. So when we're talking about the pre-workout meal with a caloric surplus, you know, everybody has this concept of like you, you have to have carbs before training to fuel the training you're getting ready to do. But I want to kind of have you look at this from a different perspective. So if we're in a caloric surplus, by the time you go into your next training session, your muscle glycogen stores should already be full before that meal even comes around, right? Um, and that's the whole point of being in the surplus. So you're always in this more of an anabolic environment uh, and not depleted of anything or any one nutrient, any one micro or macro or micronutrient. So it's not a black and white scenario that you must absolutely have carbs in that pre-workout meal. Okay. So especially when it comes to a surplus. So we want to be already full of muscle. A muscle already needs to be full of glycogen before we're even going into that meal right now. Okay. Then what, would dictate if we should have carbs in that meal or if we shouldn't, or if it should be low, moderate, high, should there be fats in there? Um, you need to kind of base this on your individual response, right? So like we have, like, say we have client A, I have them eating, you know, 60, 70 grams of carbs, you know, around 10 grams of fat before their training session. They go into their training session and they just, for some reason, they can't focus their uh, kind of intensity level and is, isn't as high as I would like it to be. And then client B is having 
lower carbs, even no carbs, and then they're going in and their focus is off the charts. They're having great workouts, great intensity, great performance. So the difference between these two scenarios um, is what can happen is people can get a, a spike in insulin that's a little bit too high, and then insulin will typically affect cognitive function and kind of like you could get that like lethargic feeling after you've had a lot of carbs. So then your focus going into the sessions a lot less. So in that scenario, I would say lower your carbohydrate intake. You could even try no carbs and a little bit higher fats because fats are more, uh, they're cognitive function. Um, we kind of call these, you know, you have like your yin and yang proteins, things like coconut oil, uh, MCTs, even like grass fed meats, but it'll allow you to keep your focus a lot higher going into the session. And then you're in a caloric surplus. So your glycogen store should already be full, right? So it's not going to have this negative effect on that training session in and of itself. But you could also have the scenario to where you do have those carbs. You have great focus, uh, great intensity performance is great. You know, great. Keep it in, right? So it's not a black and white. That's, should I have carbs? Should I not have carbs? Either can work, but you just kind of need to play with things and test it out and see what you do best with. And, you know, if you're a coach out there, um, you need to try this with your clients and not be in this uh, box of like, yes, you 100% absolutely need to have carbs pre-workout, right? So if your client's coming to you and saying that they're losing focus, their workouts aren't that great, try removing the carbs and putting in a little bit more fats in that meal and see things improve. You know, in that scenario, oh, great. We're all good. We don't need fats. We'll take care of that with either our intra or our, and obviously our post-workout window. So in a caloric surplus, it's not a black and white scenario of like you have to have carbs in that meal, right? It's not bad. It's not good. It's like, Base it on your individual response. Base it on your performance during your session. Base it on your ability to focus um, and get into that session with your performance levels, right? And I can tell you more often than not during, like if you're doing more like say neurological strength-based work, you, those will typically do better off of lower carbs and higher fats pre-workout because they are not glycolytic in nature with the lower volume, longer rest periods. So they don't need that high amount of carbohydrate intake going into that session because they're not going to be depleting their muscle glycogen at a rapid rate, right? So if I have people doing blocks of lower rep work, you know, longer rest periods, I'll typically keep their carbs on the lower end. And some of them, I have them do no carbs and mostly fats. All right, guys. So contextually speaking, if you're in a caloric surplus, it's not a must. Now, if we're talking about a caloric deficit and we're in this dieting phase, it does become more important, a little bit more vital that you have carbohydrates in that pre-workout meal. Because now, instead of being in that surplus and muscle glycogen levels being full all the time, you're in a deficit and you're depleting these stores. So now the muscle glycogen levels are going to be lower going into that session. So yeah, we would want to have some carbs pre-workout for creating kind of a buffer in a sense um, and getting that nutrient in our bloodstream to have that kind of readily available source to perform better. Okay. So in that scenario, it is definitely more vital and more important to place carbs in that pre-workout meal. Okay. So again, that's, it's never black and white. 
But again, context of a caloric deficit, I would suggest and recommend that you place those carbs in that pre-workout meal. Now, let's also talk about um, timing of that. So the timing of the pre-workout meal is going to be more based off of what you actually have in that meal. So how long is it actually going to take for your stomach to empty? Now, obviously, no food is going to completely digest in like, you know, that even two hours. It's just going to look to empty out of the stomach. So we want to make sure that is fully done. So obviously, if you're having something like um, red meat, like a ground beef or even ground chicken um, and like a potato or veggies and rice, like something a little bit more substance and a little more density to it then you need to allow for a longer period of time before your training session to allow the digestive process to occur. Because what we do not want is to go into that training session and those digestive processes still working because that is going to basically take away from the training session because blood is being diverted into the GI tract, into the stomach to help with the digestive process. And during training, we want to obviously be able to push blood into the muscle and not having, you know, have this kind of argument going on, like, does blood need to go into my gut for digestion? Does it need to go in the muscle for training, right? So on top of that, when you start training, you turn on that sympathetic stress response, and obviously cortisol goes through higher, increases, and then that turns down digestive processes. So that can actually make it harder for your body to digest the food you ate. So if you're having a kind of more dense meal, a a higher uh, quantity of food in that pre-workout meal, I will always tell my clients to a minimum of 90 minutes, but literally up to like two and a half, even three hours. Like we need to make sure that that's completely out of the stomach and then you're not going to interfere with the training in and of itself. Now, if you're having something like, a whey isolate or even a vegan protein powder and like cream of rice, um, something that digests really fast and really easily, then yes, 60 minutes, no problem. It's going to be out of that stomach in no time. You can go start training within the hour without any type of repercussion and interference with the digestive process, okay? So timing, again, is contextual. Like what's in that meal pre-workout? All right, so the next thing we want to look out is intra-workout. So this topic kind of gets, um, you know, you do get these kind of camps where it's like you have the people that you absolutely must have this intra-workout shake, and then you have the other camp that's like as long as you're eating food, it's not important at all, so don't even worry about it. Um, uh, again, we always need to apply more context with what we're saying, Um and giving people more understanding of what's going on during like a training session and what the purpose of an intro workout shake is for. So again, from a contextual standpoint, first of caloric surplus versus caloric deficit, I would say that in a caloric deficit, it is definitely more beneficial and more um, productive to your progress if you put intra carbs Um, even some amino acids in your intro workout. Okay, so first let's define intro workout a little bit. So when I say intro, that doesn't literally mean like you're going to be drinking a shake through your entire training session because I think people do that and they're kind of missing the point of it. 
So what I would recommend is if you are having an interest shake, whatever that's made up of, whether it's just aminos, whether it's um, carbs or it's, whether it's a combination of both is to like, say you have a bottle uh, of like a thousand milliliters of water. You're putting your um, powders in there to mix it up, drink at least, you know, two thirds of that before you even start training because the purpose of the interest shake is to put fuel into the bloodstream and we want it there readily available to do what we want it to do. Okay. Which is to produce ATP when needed. So you already want that in the bloodstream before you start training. And then once that's done and you start training, you're going to sip on it between some sets, but it needs to be finished before halfway through your workout. Because again, it needs to already be in the system so it can do its job and buffer like the stress response. So we're getting out of it what we want to get out of it. All right. So timing of the interest shake is, is a more important and not waiting till like you're just finishing it up literally at the end of the workout. And I'm not saying that's going to like ruin results. Or that's a bad thing. But at that point, you're not getting the benefits of what we're putting the interest shake in there for. And that's to improve performance and mitigate the level of response uh, from cortisol and catecholamines during the training session. Okay, so timing is important there. So should I, should I not have intra-workout carbs slash amino acids? So I'll tell you what they do. The purpose of these is to basically create a buffer within the system because here's kind of the steps involved when you're training, right? So when we start training, the first place that you're going to deplete glycogen stores from is the muscle. The next place it's going to come from is the liver, right? After the liver, like say it gets too low, the next step is it's going to start utilizing amino acids to convert into glucose via, gluc via gluconeogenesis through the liver to produce ATP, to, to make glucose, to make more energy, right? So it's muscle glycogen, then liver glycogen, and then we start converting amino acids into glucose to keep up with the demands of the performance during the training sessions to keep up with that energy demand. Okay, so that's like the order of events, so to speak. And then what we look at from there is what type of training are we doing? Because that is a huge, huge factor. Um, if you're doing, like I spoke about earlier, if you're doing neurological-based training stimulus, so the lower reps, the lower volume, um, the longer rest periods between your sets, that's not very glycolytic in nature. You know, that's not very demanding upon um, muscle glycogen stores. Now, if you're doing uh, more hypertrophy-based work, more higher volume-based work, if you're doing metabolic stress-based work, those environments of training and that type of training stimulus is definitely more glycolytic in nature. So it's more demanding of energy at a higher rate. So now you definitely need a more readily available fuel source there because if it's not there and you deplete the system so fast and you've run out of basically muscle glycogen, you've run out of, uh, not run out, but you're depleting your liver glycogen, you're putting more stress on your system. And when you do that, catecholamine response gets higher, cortisol gets even higher, and then that is going to affect your recovery capabilities because you kind of like dig yourself into a deeper and deeper hole during the training session, right? So we look at intra-workout carbs or aminos as a anti-catabolic 
situation, right? You're not anabolic during a training session. So let's like, let's just cut that out right now because I hear that said a lot. Um, like people are taking, like they're, they're say they're putting in essential amino acids into improve recovery, which they are, but it's not correlated to making it an anabolic environment. All you're doing is keeping it from becoming an, a catabolic environment and you're basically creating this anti-catabolic state, right? So we're allowing buffer to the system to where we're not putting excessive stress on the liver and being able to recover faster once we stop training. Okay, so regardless if you're using a cyclic dextrin, a dextrose, um, 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 what other people use, uh, Gatorade sometimes, whatever fuel source you're using, like carb source, or if you're even using amino acids, um, honestly, whether it's essential or branch chain, any of that's going to be utilized as a fuel source during your training, okay? Because when you're training, you are in a sympathetic state. When you are a sympathetic state, you are not in a recovery state. You are not turning on protein synthesis or the recovery capabilities within the body. That is done post-training when you come back out of that sympathetic state. Okay, guys, there's a, there's a difference between the two. So just understand that we are not trying to create this anabolic environment during training. We're just trying not to create a like, huge state of catabolism during a training session. So that's what the intra shake is for, right? So it takes stress off the liver and it takes stress just off the body and allows you to keep performance at a higher level when you're training. Okay. So intra workout is a buffer. It's an anti-catabolic um, kind of fuel source in a sense. It keeps stress off the, uh, the liver. It keeps stress hormones lower um, because you got to realize too, when you train, your blood glucose levels are going to increase. That's what happens, obviously, when cortisol raises. That's a good thing because it's mobilizing fuel into the bloodstream to do what we need to do, which is train. Um, it's the same thing if, like, if you were running away from a bear or whatever, you know, fight or flight state that you're in. Um, so just understand that that's what it's for. Now, do I absolutely need it? And a surplus we can argue that no, it's not 100% needed by any stretch of the means because you should, again, have full muscle glycogen stores going in there. But we can make the argument that it will allow us to keep stress response a little bit lower during training and allow us to start the recovery process much faster post-training, right? So, you know, if budget isn't a problem, if you can afford it, I do recommend putting some intracarbs in there during your training session. Um, and like if you're in a caloric deficit, I 100% recommend doing that. Obviously, into basically until calories get too low and your carbohydrate gets too low, that like a lot of people are just obviously going to want food in their meals and not during um, their training, which is fine. So that's where the amino acids are going to come into play. Because remember, the amino acids are also going to be utilized as fuel during that training session. Okay, so you can kind of play around with what your interest shake is, consists of um, in that notion. So how much is going to be completely dependent on what the person can tolerate, where their current carbohydrate intake is at. Um, but, you know, kind of minimal in my perspective and all my anecdotal evidence, um, I would say, and observational evidence, I would say 15 grams of carbs is, is the lowest that I would recommend. Um, but I've seen people push up to almost, you know, 100 grams of carbs and have zero issues. But that's also someone that's taking in, eight, 900 grams of carbs throughout the entire day, right? So 
it's an easier place to put carbohydrates um, to help keep their digestive uh, system in a good spot. All right, so intra-workout, again, contextual, is it needed 100%? No, during a surplus, I would argue yes, during a caloric deficit, okay? Now let's move into that post-workout meal. Now for the post-workout meal, when do we have it? Why do we have it? What does it need to be made up of? So why do we have it? The point obviously is to start recovery. So we're having carbs post-training. Um, we think of like, it's, insulin is an antagonist to cortisol. So obviously cortisol levels are increased during training. And then when we start eating those carbs, um, typically we'll go for more uh, simple versions of it, more faster digesting carbohydrates. Um, it will obviously cause insulin to raise, which will help bring down cortisol even more, okay? But one thing that I will say is, it is an antagonist to cortisol, but what I recommend, because some clients, again, this comes down to what you're going to eat post-training, okay? So if you're going to eat like more solid meals and not, not like have a whey shake or something more simple, then I would say make sure that you are doing more kind of parasympathetic activity post-training to calm the body down, to get the heart rate down, to get you more in that parasympathetic state, to get you into that rest and digest state, right? Because that's optimal for digestion. Because if we're still in that sympathetic state and that fight or flight response is still turned on, that means your digestive system is kind of turned down and you're not gonna be able to break down the foods properly that you're eating. And that can cause digestive, you know, GI stress that we don't want. So make sure before you have that solid food meal that you're completely calmed down and you're in a nice state to be able to break down, absorb, and utilize the nutrients you're putting in that meal. Now, again, if this is more simple foods like cream of rice and whey isolate or even cereal that, and stuff like that that people are doing post-training, it's not as big of an issue because that stuff will break down much easier in the, in the gut. But I would still argue that it's much better even 10 minutes after your workout to do some things to calm the body down. And that'll help a lot with your post-workout meal. Um, and a lot of people just aren't hungry right after they work out. Um, you know, if you do a hard-ass leg session, a lot of times you, you just don't want to eat post-training. So it's fine. Don't think you have to rush and scarf down this meal in like 10 minutes right after your workout. You're not going to go into a catabolic state and like waste your work that you just did. Let the body calm down, rest a little bit, drink some water and hydrate, then go in and have your meal. Okay? So we're having that post-workout meal to start the recovery process, to turn on protein synthesis, we're also doing it, obviously, to replenish muscle glycogen stores that were depleted during training, right? We're typically going to keep this lower fats. That doesn't mean there needs to be no fats in that meal. It just means that, need to, in my perspective, they need to be a little bit lower because our priority in the post-training window is to optimize glycogen storage. Um, and fats can kind of slow that down a little bit. So we're not, we're looking at, you know, improving muscle, like intramuscular triglyceride levels or, or, or to, you know, improve the recovery process post-training. We need to optimize glycogen storage, not fats. And again, this doesn't mean you can't have any fats whatsoever during that window. It means, you know, don't be having 100 grams of carbs and 20 grams of fat because you're not going to optimize that environment. And what we're looking to is to optimize that, okay? So we're not driving any type of issue and also possibly 
biasing a little bit of that fuel into fat tissue, okay? Um, another caveat here is it always needs to be contextual, right? So that means that if someone comes to you and they are like overly fat and they're carrying a ton of body fat, that means their body is more than likely over-inflamed. They probably have poor insulin sensitivity, a little bit of insulin resistance. So it's okay, and it's honestly even better for these people to hold off a little bit post-training to get the benefit of that response. Because remember, when you're training, that's independent of insulin, meaning it does not require insulin to store glycogen, okay? So yes, it is a more optimal time for them to take it in, but at the same time, if their system is overly stressed and it's inflamed and the cells are inflamed, it's still not gonna be a good time to spike insulin in what in any way whatsoever, okay? So this is where I would opt more for a, like a complex carbohydrate, like oatmeal, potatoes, instead of something uh, more simple like, like cereals or cream of rice. So we keep that insulin response a little bit lower and then that we're gonna manage their blood glucose levels a lot better and we're not gonna have these kind of peaks and valleys uh, during this, okay? Because a lot of people will just kind of make it like a black and white scenario, like, oh, you can have all these carbs post-training and not taking like the individual into account and like what state is their body in? Are they healthy? Are, um, are they dealing with, you know, disease or metabolic syndrome or anything to that nature? Then yeah, probably not the best place to be putting in cereal for them and probably not anytime soon they need to be eating cereal because we need to manage these levels, right? So there's never black and white with any of these scenarios, guys. It's always, you gotta put context behind why you're doing something for yourself or why you're putting into somebody's plan. Um, because people and some coaches are trying to fit people into boxes. Um, and yes, it may work for some, but it's not gonna work for everybody. And when we don't start individualizing these things, even from a supplementation perspective to the food choices that we make and the sources and everything in between, we're getting away from um, putting together a plan that's going to help keep this person healthy long-term, get them to their goals kind of faster and progression on that kind of linear trajectory that we want them on, okay? So I hope this kind of breaks this down for you guys in, 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 in a simple way. Um, obviously, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me a DM. Uh, please, as always, if you could subscribe to our channel, leave us a review and a five-star rating. Um, that always helps us out. And until next time, guys, I will talk to you soon.